Hello, I'm Sam and welcome to the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills and language. Today I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the people bringing the world's youth together since 2009. We've got language guru Mike. Hello. And our very own Miss Positive, Julie. Hi there. This episode will be visiting Canada, Russia, Indonesia, the UK, Hungary and Italy in Around the World in Six Stories. And in the big discussion this week, our young people explain how to learn another language. We'll be looking at Uganda in fact or fiction. And in the youth spotlight this week, we'll be looking at the winner of the 2020 Children's Peace Prize, a young man called Sada Rahman in Bangladesh. And this week on Life Skills, I spoke to a fireman about fire safety in the home. In this week's language corner, I'm going to tell you about a language which uses clicks to communicate. The language of Botswana in Africa. This is the Learn and Experience podcast. Okay, Julie, where are we visiting this week? So first off, we are going to Canada where scientists have found a new way to grow human cells and it's inside Irish soda bread. So what is a cell? So a cell is the basic unit of life. Uh, Some organisms are made up of a single cell like bacteria, while others are made up of trillions of cells. Human beings are made up of cells too. So researcher Andrew Pelling and his team tried several different breads to see what worked best with the cells. Many of their early attempts, as well as gluten-free recipes, resulted in a bit of a soggy mess. But the scientists' luck changed when they tried out Irish soda bread. After baking the bread, sterilising it with alcohol, then chemically treating it to reinforce its structure, the team found that the human muscle, skin and bone cells were able to cling on and reproduce. Further studies will now take place to test whether these cells can be used for medical purposes. That is incredible. Bread, bread is a, 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 an amazing tool for scientific discovery because it was how penicillin was found, wasn't it? Moldy bread and realized that that was something that, I don't know, something clever and scientific. <laughs> <laughs> you almost had us there, Sam. You almost had us. I didn't know that, though. That's really, that's really fascinating. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Of, of being a student and, and having mouldy bread in my kitchen, perhaps that was something I used as an excuse to my parents to say, I'm working on a scientific cure. <laughs> that sounds like an excuse. <laughs> yeah. We are off to Russia this week, where the coldest city in the world is a place in Siberia called Yak- Yakutsk. And it's so cold in Yakutsk that the average temperature has reached minus 34 degrees Celsius. In January 19th, the temperature reached a whopping minus 50 degrees Celsius. In Yakutsk, anything over minus 40 degrees is considered cold, but not that cold. And most schools only close when temperatures get below minus 67, unless they cater for the really, really little ones. Actually, what's what's quite surprising is that you would think that that residents would prefer the summer when temperatures rise to a more reasonable 65 degrees, uh, 18 degrees Celsius. But as it turns out, the residents of Yakutsk actually prefer the cold weather. In the summer, 
they get swarms of bloodthirsty Siberian mosquitoes. So it turns out that they actually prefer the, the, the harsh winter in this place. And they wear these very, very thick clothing in order to keep warm. And for entertainment in Yakutsk, the most popular entertainment is a museum uh, which has uh, mammoths, woolly mammoths from the Ice Age. Minus 50 sounds unbearable. I used to always think that the difference between zero degrees, because it can get quite cold in Scotland, you know, zero to kind of minus eight, it's just cold. But I think minus 50 might, it might feel a bit different. <laughs> I reckon so. I think you, you'll feel that in the mornings. Okay, so I'm going now to Indonesia, where scientists, scientists have recently reported finding a 45 and a half thousand year old painting on a cave wall. The paintings show a wild pig, which looks similar to an animal known as the warty pig, which still lives in Indonesia today. The painting was found in 2017 by an archaeology student from Australia's Griffith University, which I think is in Sydney. The cave where it was found is on the island of Sulawesi and is extremely difficult to reach, which maybe explains why the painting was never discovered before. It's a 45,000-year-old painting, which is now officially the oldest painting ever found. Apologies if you've explained how in your, that I may have missed that. But how do they date it back? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, over to you, boffins. <laughs> I don't know how they date it, but there's obviously a technique that archaeologists use. It was found in 2017, and it's taken a few years to do all the data and the tests, and they presumably test it against other things. Make um, similarities to other things that they found. Yeah, I and... presume so, yeah. But, I mean, it'll be a rough... But the fact they've said 45,000 and 500 years, so... You know, it, it's quite specific, you know. It might be like the Everest one, though. They're like, we got to make it a bit of a random number so that people don't think it's fake. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're staying a bit closer to, to home for me now. So zebras continue to pose an interesting problem. Why do they have stripes? Surely the black and white pattern makes them stand out so much, and that's what makes them easier prey. So one popular theory is something called motion dazzle, and it's the idea that the stripes might actually confuse predators. So if a lion were to run at a herd of zebras, they'd normally scatter. All those stripes moving in different directions might dazzle the lion, making it harder for it to catch a zebra. However, scientists at the University of Exeter in the UK think they proved this theory wrong by using a simple video game. The game is called Dazzle Bug, and it requires players to tap on a quick moving rectangle, which is a bug. Now, some bugs have patterns and some didn't. So the scientists found that the dull and unremarkable bugs were harder to catch. This means that the gray camouflage was better than bolder patterns, such as zebra stripes for escaping prey, according to the study. So they had a lot of help in collecting the, da the data. The game was played by over 77,000 visitors to the Eden Project in Cornwall in England. Dr. Anna Hughes led the study and she said, our findings provide the clearest evidence to date against the motion dazzle hypothesis. The team didn't suggest a different theory as to why zebras have stripes. And of course, no lions were invited to play the game. So maybe a zebra's stripes cause motion dazzle, but maybe they don't. Who knows if we'll ever solve the mystery of why a zebra has stripes. They are remarkable. Like there's so many animals that animals that are remarkable, but 
the pattern on you know on the fur or whatever is like it's so beautiful and you just, are they kind of they i wanted like... the answer i was hoping you were going to give me the answer i'm <laughs> oh, like, sorry raise my I'll, hopes i'll stay on it i'll stay on the yeah. i'll stay oh, on that, that story well, i'm taking you to hungary next where scientists have realized that a few genius dogs can learn words really really quickly scientists in the Etowice Lorand University in Budapest in Hungary have learned that two smart dogs, well smart dogs in particular, a border collie called Whiskey and a Yorkshire Terrier named Vicky can learn new words after hearing them just four times. The experiment was set into, it was divided into two different tests. Test number one, the owner showed the dogs a new toy and said, this is a lunchbox, uh, go get it. And off they went and they came back and they bought the lunchbox back. Test number two was far more complicated where the dogs were sent into another room where the new toy, the, the lunchbox, was mixed with seven other toys that they already knew. And remarkably, these two dogs, they came back and they, they found successfully, they came back with the lunchbox or the new toy, whatever that toy was. However, we should know that dogs are considerably better smellers than, than they are listeners to our, our human voice. They, the 18 other dogs that were tested along with these two smart ones didn't fare so well. So they didn't come back with anything. And so it shows that these two, two dogs are kind of genius dogs, Whiskey and Vicky Nina, Nina. And even they forgot the words just 10 minutes later. So really? I think what we learn, yeah. Yeah, they, 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 and Sam, you, you're a dog owner yourself. Where's, yeah. what do you think about, uh, uh, I, well, we, funnily enough, we were, I was talking to this with my daughters, uh, about whether they recognize words. And we actually tested our dog, who's a labradoodle, uh, pretty switched on. We used to have border collars who are really smart. Our labradoodle is, is pretty smart, but not, and I, I wouldn't say a genius. Um, but she definitely recognizes her name, like definitely. And sometimes you could say, is it the inflection that using you like Rosie, Rosie or whatever. But we actually did a test with her just yesterday where we, um, where we said lots of words like Bob, lunchbox, Rosie. And as soon as we said the word Rosie, she went and she looked up. So she definitely recognizes her name, which is, you know, you know, pretty common i suppose but these but then if you do lots of words and stuff i don't know how many words they can uh how, how many they can remember but it's interesting that you said within 10 minutes they forgot yeah i mean it, it doesn't mean that they don't retain anything but it just yeah. it shows that they they need more uh, yeah. time. yeah it's a repetition of these things isn't it that's why they recognize their name so well so i'm going to italy now well, it's a nice sweet story this where two wedding rings were found in a backpack floating in the Mediterranean Sea, and they've been returned to their owners. So a newly married Algerian couple left Libya by boat in October, but were then shipwrecked. A charity boat found the backpack in the sea, 
and photos of the rings were then shared on social media and seen by the owners who were staying on the island of Sicily. And then they were reunited with their wedding rings that they thought were lost forever. What a great story. I think for me, that shows that the higher sentimental value that an object has, the more likely it's going to be handed in. That was Around the World in Six Stories. So on the big discussion this week, our young people, who many of whom are bilingual, dis- discussed the different techniques they have used over the years to learn another language. Now, before we hand over to them, we have our language guru, Mike, with us. So, Mike, what, what would you say is a technique that you used to learn another language? Uh, for me, humour has always been a really important part of learning languages. And so the, the surprising thing for me is that humour is so powerful in retaining words and, and remembering what they, what they are. So I remember as an eight-year-old uh, having a French lesson and I was taught uh, by my French teacher called Mr. Pearson what the word was swimming pool. And he said to the class, he said, c'est interdit de piscine la piscine, meaning it's forbidden, it's a, not allowed to, 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 to go for a wee in the, in the swimming pool. <laughs> and for me, as an eight-year-old, that has stuck to a 30 how old am I? 38 years or something. Perfect. I'm going to use all of the things you've said and, and, and finally try and, uh, at some point learn another language. But no, without further ado, we'll pass over to our young people and hear what kind of techniques they've used over the years to learn other languages. Uh, okay, so when I was young, like three years old, I learned Greek. It is like my mother tongue. But then we moved to Canada for six months. And I, I feel like if you move to another land, you have to adapt and make changes into your life. And then you like learn the language to like they speak and you can hear it. And there is where I learned English. So I think that's the best way. Like you either go to go to the land or yeah. you practice probably. I don't know. I don't think our country is brilliant with speaking another language. Because you do it in primary school, but you only learn like three phrases, like how to say hello and goodbye. Yeah, and exactly. Go, like that's I what they learn in school. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. And then mm-hmm. I don't remember any of it. I just remember bonjour, and that's all I remember. <laughs> I can't remember the rest. And I think I can count to five, and that was six years of primary school. And then in high school, you get to choose between French and Spanish, but some other schools do Latin and German, but my school is French and Spanish. And I chose Spanish because it just seemed nicer. Because um, my, some of my friends have like Spanish friends, so I decided to do Spanish and that's been all right. I've done it for three years now, just two and a bit. But I'm not fluent, but I can say like some simple sentences. But I'm not like proper fluent like you guys. Okay, fact or fiction. We are going to visit the country Uganda this week. Have you been there, Jules? I have not. Have you? I haven't. Oh, fantastic. Got a chance this week. (laughs) The capital city of Uganda is Kampala. 
Shortly before I went uh, traveling to Australia in my quite boring job, I tried to learn all of the capital cities um, to make me seem like a world traveler when I went traveling. And that does not ring a bell. Now I can't say what I think it is, but that does not ring a bell. So I'm going to say fiction. I'm going to say right back at you that it's ringing, it's ringing three or four different bells in my head. And I can't tell you with why that is, but I, I think it's the capital of Uganda, Kampala, Kampala, Kampala. I'm going to say fact. You are correct, Mike. It is the capital city of Uganda, Kampala. Maybe that was one that I wasn't able to learn. That's why it doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> well done, Mike. The official nickname of Uganda is the Pearl of Africa. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> answer. Mm. Not fact or fiction, just mm. <laughs> Now, something tells me that uh, you'd get the nickname Pearl from a country that is near water because pearls are found in water. And I think that the Pearl of Africa is Madagascar, perhaps, or... Yeah, I'm going to go with Madagascar for want of a better guess. I don't Fact know. or fiction? It's, yes, good, thank you. It's fiction for me. I would agree with Mike's thought process. Uh, not confident enough to actually name another country, but that's kind of my where my brain went to, so I'm going to say fiction. Miss out on another opportunity, Julie. It is the Pearl of Africa. Mm. Is it? Uganda has one of the oldest populations in the world. You mean it's got the most amount of people that are old? As far as its, its national average is the oldest in the world. I'm going to say fact, because I think old, old people... Older people are revered more in countries such as Uganda. So, what does revered mean, Jules, for our younger? Oh, sorry, revered. Um, in this sense, I guess just um, respected and um, loved, beloved, and yeah, yeah. Um, I am going to go heel toe, heel toe with Julie, and also say fact, but for different reasons. I know Uganda has a lot of elephants. I know that elephants live to a long, ripe old age. And I think that where there's old elephants, there's going to be old humans. So I'm going to say fact. I think Mike deserves to get that for that amazing story. No, I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's definitely ridiculous because it's, <laughs> because it's fiction. It has, in fact, the youngest population in the world so 55 percent of the population are under the age of 18. there are 300 different indigenous languages spoken in uganda uh, it's got the youngest population in the world so in africa so i'm going to say that that's possibly true i think that uh, i know that there are a lot of languages i don't know whether there are 300 but i'm going to go with fact i don't know if i can win now but if i think if i say the opposite to mike 
do, can, no, I don't think I, maybe I can make can a draw. Be, I'm, it's only one nil at the moment. Oh, okay. Um, what did you say, Mike? I said fact. I'm going to say fiction. More or less? Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say less for a brownie point. She's been stung too many times when she's <laughs> elaborated on her answer. <laughs> I need to just stick to fact or fiction, just straight well, up. On this occasion, it was the correct tactic. It is a lot less. It is only 30, which is still a lot. Bonus um, points. But uh, a lot less than 300. The population of Uganda is 20 million. Fiction. I think I could see you trying to work out. <laughs> I could see you trying to do maths. I think it's fiction for that reason. Okay, about 40 million. I mean, I'm going to also say fiction and I'm going to say it's around 40 million. <laughs> no, you can't do that because that'll be a draw. Go fact. <laughs> no, you can't, can't do We can have draws. Yeah, is it sort of just around the 40 million mark? Oh, no, you really got me this time. I can't believe I've been read. <laughs> okay, another, another. You little eyes. You were like, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're terrible at lying. <laughs> I was going to do 100 million, and then I thought, well, I've just said 20 million, so I'll go to 20 million. <laughs> What's 40 take away 20? You're a bad liar, which is a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> the Lake Victoria is in, part of it is in Uganda. And lake Victoria is the largest lake in Africa. Okay. I don't know an awful lot about lakes. I do know that Lake Malawi is in Malawi. And I do think that Lake Victoria is the biggest lake in Africa. So I'm going to go fact. I've only heard of Lake Malawi, so I'm going to go fiction. <laughs> well, I've never heard of Lake Malawi. But Lake Victoria is the largest lake in Africa. <sighs> and therefore, <clears throat> Mike, you are the winner this week. Well Thanks, done. George. Okay. Gail will be so happy. <laughs> she will absolutely be delighted. <laughs> hey, on the Youth Spotlight, we're going to learn about Sadat Rahman, who has recently won the 2020 Children's Peace Prize. This prestigious award, which is awarded every year by the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, was given to Sadat for an anti-cyberbullying app called Cyber Teens that he created. The aim of this app was to give helpless teenagers a place to seek help for bullying on, online on the internet. Teens are often afraid to report bullying online to their parents uh, and also to the police. So Sadat's app has given lots of teenagers around the world the chance to do that in a safe way. The app gives the chance to report cyberbullying confidentially, so without, without any information being shared with anybody, and it brings together social workers and cyber specialists and the police. 300 victims of cyberbullying cyber have already been supported by this app, and thousands of kids have been helped in digital literacy. So we like, we're a big fan of Sadat Rahman on this podcast. I think it's really good.
It's very similar to someone we've had on Youth Spotlight before. Is it Jitin Jali who came up with the anti-bullying, you know, um, app? So there's obviously like a there's a really big need for this. Young people themselves are are seeing and and being affected by these things online and doing something about it. So it's absolutely amazing. Okay, what have you been learning this week, Julie? So this week on Life Skills, I spoke to a lovely fireman called Alan. And Alan's been a fireman for over 30 years and he received the British Citizen Award from the Queen a few years ago for his amazing work in his community. So we spoke, we spoke for quite a while, but the, the common theme throughout the call was common sense. Um, we talked quite a lot about mobile phones and about laptops. Um, as these things can heat up quite a lot when you when you charge them. And, and he told countless stories of people charging their phones and leaving it under their pillows um, and just saying that this is really not not a great thing to do. So when you are charging, whether it comes to laptops or phones, is turn them off. It's funny, I don't really ever turn my phone off or turn my laptop off. Um, but he said that's good practice to turn these devices off when they're charging so they don't get really warm, uh, warm and overheat. He also talked about um, cables fraying and that they shouldn't, you shouldn't just try and patch them up. Um, if they are frayed, they should, really should be thrown away, but not only thrown away, you should, tr you should actually cut them so that if anybody else finds it, if it escapes your bin or, or, or something, somebody might be like, oh, this is a, an okay cable, but you should yeah, cut them in half for that reason. Um, and also when you're replacing old cables, um, chargers for your phone or for your laptops, it will be quite, um, it could be quite easy to go for a cheaper brand. Um, however, he said it's worth spending a bit more money on a reputable brand because a lot of these, um, a lot of these other ones can be unsafe. These can lead to a lot of fires too. Um, he, he asked me about how many, how many adapters or plugs I had in the room that I was in. It was quite a lot. And he asked me if I had a block adapter, you know, one of those ones where you can, you know, it's kind of a square and you can plug a, a few plugs in at the top and at the side and he said these are actually not that great because sometimes they can come away you know when you go to plug something in it's usually come away from the wall a little bit and that can actually make them really unsafe he said extension cables are the way to go especially the ones where you can um where they have a switch for each plug socket so you can kind of monitor um how much power is coming through the the, the cable uh, and then we chatted a little bit about cooking he asked me if i'd ever if I'd ever been cooking something and, and something had happened and I'd some, the doorbell had rang or something and I'd, I'd gone to see it without turning it off. And I think I probably have. He said a lot of fires happen that way is when someone's cooking and they maybe go to the loo or, you know, the doorbell rings and, and, and they go away and forget about it. So uh, if you're ever cooking, just turn it off. Nothing's going to spoil um, if, you, if you just turn it off. So yeah, a lot of what he said, you know, is common sense, but a lot of these things, you know, I, I, I have done or I've done in, in the past and they can be unsafe. So uh, thank you very much for your time, Alan. It was an informative, um, informative chat and we hope to get, get him on again as he's very, he's very active in the community. He speaks to a lot of children um, within his community about fire safety, but also about road safety. So we look forward to, to having him on again and having another really useful conversation with him. It's a great life skill, right? It's uh, it, like you say, some of it's common sense, but it's the kind of things that you can just slip and forget, particularly the electric one. I think I myself have no knowledge of electricity. 
and you just think that these devices are designed to be safe but they're massive potential hazard right Definitely. If you go back and listen to, uh, was it maybe episode three or four, we did the basics of electricity. Yeah. And that's actually quite good to learn because you, you know how much one plug is supposed to, how much power it's supposed to take is maybe the wrong word, but um, how much power is supposed to come through it. So it's worth kind of having a listen to that podcast and, and maybe just kind of understanding how these things work. And you know not to plug too many things maybe into an adapter because, you know, Alan spoke of, he's been a farmer for 30 years. He's unfortunately seen a lot of fires and he said almost all of them were preventable. So, you know, there's certain things that we can do in and around the house to, to keep ourselves safe. So good job, Alan. Thank you for what you do. Thanks, Alan. This week in the language corner, we look at one of the oldest and world's first click languages. What's a click language? I hear you ask. Click languages are a group of languages that are found in, in largely in Africa and involve clicks from the back of your throat to convey meaning. Now, surprisingly, English actually has clicks in, in our language. We don't think of them as clicks. But for example, if you show uh, disapproval or something, we would say, you know, we do the tut tut. Um, Sometimes when we're impatient, we do the and sounds like that. These are all coming from the back of our throat. The click languages are found in Botswana and Tanzania in East Africa, and they belong to the family of the Khoisan languages. There's an estimated quarter of a million speakers of these click languages. And in Botswana, the longest clicking sentence is, can you pass me that stick? I want to hit the naughty one so he can behave. <laughs> well, the shortest clicking sentence in the Botswana language are, is, frogs are gathering here. <laughs> but it's remarkable because they click from the back of the throat and uh, just shows for me that languages are, that the languages that we know in the West are, uh, are all, all quite similar. But you get these languages that are spoken all around the world, which uh, all use all the, all the different features of the anatomy. One of the things that I find very strange is that we don't warm up before we speak. Gymnasts and sporting people, they always do warm up. They warm up their bodies. But people, they don't tend to warm up their jaws before they speak. And actually, Maybe we should. So that's the language corner this week. So we have our self-proclaimed worst fellow in the world who is proving every week that she's definitely not the worst fellow in the world and actually pretty good. And our not self-proclaimed, it's our very own language guru, Mike, uh, has, got his comp- has got competition. So our first word... From the story, uh, our youth spotlight today, who won the prestigious award. Prestigious. One of my favourite movies is The Prestige. No, it's not that word. It's prestigious. (laughs) (laughs) It comes from, it's just a few of the letters are the same. I'm just trying to imagine what that looks like. Okay, prestigious. Prestigious. 
P-R-E-S-T-I-G-E-O-U-S, prestigious. Unless your E is a Spanish E, it's, it's not right. Generally. It is a Spanish E, funny you should yeah. mention. <laughs> pre, pre, which, which E, the second one? Yeah, the second one, there's an I, so it's press, press, you were, okay, you were, yeah, so up, up until the G, she was just, fine. Just, just spell it out. P-R-E-S-T-I-G-I-O-U-S. Yeah, sorry, Julie, Mike's right, the language grew. I really thought I'd got, I really thought Mike was wrong there, not that I doubt you, Mike. So I there, prestigious, don't worry, I'll be fact-checking. Well done, Mike. That was a hard one. Okay. From our Siberia story, we were talking about very, very low temperatures. Temperatures. Got to remember the S at the end. He's saying temperatures. Just going to give you a sneaky one. <laughs> temperatures. T-E-M-P-E-R-A-T-U-R-E-S. Temperatures. Not going to dispute that. I'm going to go with the same. Well done, Julie. That is the correct yes. spelling. Fantastic. Uganda gained independence from Britain in 1962. Independence. Independence. It's got the word dance in it, I think, which is kind of cool. Well, we'll see what we get there. I don't know if it does yet. <laughs> Hold on. I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-A-N-C-E. Independence. So, but, so you said that it's got the word dance in it. Oh, no, hold on. De independence. De no, dense. D-E. No, okay, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Such a great teacher. Um, so everything the same apart from it's not dance, it's dense. D-E. No, I think Mike, no, that's not fair. Thanks, Mike, but... Can you spell it first, Mike, please? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of the one of the spelling strategies is to is to think of words having other words in them to to help you spell it. And dance is a great one to remember how to spell independence. The question is, does it is it has it got an A or has it got an E? And right now, I, I can't remember. Oh well, I actually okay. I'm gonna go with my original. I think it is dance. I think it's independent dance. I'm gonna stick with my first effort actually. And I'm going to go with the opposite. I think it's independence. Can you just spell it for me, please, Mike? <laughs> I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-C-E. -E -E. Okay, I'm just going to do a little check here. I want to have the word dance in it because that's cool. Yeah, totally. Could be an American-British <laughs> one, you know, like Archeologist, uh, you know? Well, there was that movie Independence Day. I was trying to remember um, film like posters it is in fact with an e so mike you are the winner this week yeah. <laughs> well done mike good job pulled one back it was about time you pulled one back <laughs> <laughs> so that was the learn and experience podcast goodbye julie goodbye mike goodbye sam goodbye everybody we hope you enjoyed the show. That was the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills, and language. You can follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And you can also follow us on our website, 
learnandexperience.com. Goodbye.